0: Jesus Christ is the Word of God, okay? Then look at what it says in verse 52. "And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So then here begs the question. Was Jesus Christ um, was Jesus Christ God manifest in the flesh when He was born? Was he or was he not? Okay. Was he God manifest in the flesh in chapter 3, verse (laughs) 1? David. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Well, he was immaculately conceived, right? Mm -hmm. He was sent by God. So what was the what's the deal? He developed, you mean he developed over time? Mm -hmm. And then when he was complete, God said, you're ready, and he he started his ministry? Is that what you mean? Oh, so you mean like the Bible from the originals all the way down until the King James Bible? You say, what was that? It was just like saying Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. and Man, what was it doing? He was growing. The Word of God was growing. And eventually it got to a place in 1611 where it was a full maturity, and God said, Whew. and he breathed on it. He said, now that's the Word of God just like Adam. He made him out of the dust of the ground, and then a man sitting there lifeless, fully complete. And God goes, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, inspired. Well, there you go. So, when they were back in Tyndale's day, and all they had was a Tyndale Bible, and they killed Tyndale, and he only had the first part of his Bible done, and so... Coverdale comes along and he finishes Tyndale's work because they burnt Tyndale at the stake and it goes from Tyndale, I think it's the Matthew's Bible or the Bishop's Bible and it goes down to the Geneva Bible and the Great Bible and all these different English translations and then you get down to the King James Bible and it's complete and it's sitting there and all the revisions and all the stuff has been taken into account and God says, and when was it inspired? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Only the originals are inspired. What are you talking about? Right? What are, you, what are you talking about? Only the originals are inspired. You forgot. You can't bind the Word of God. So, so when you go against it, you're going against something a whole lot bigger than just your brain. And and uh, and if and if you're being if everyone's being completely honest, when it comes to textual criticism, they don't they don't put they don't hold the same standard to all other works of antiquity than they do to the Bible. When you think about the Odyssey and um, some of these other, I mean name whatever um, great literary works that they do. You know what I'm saying? They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't hold this to the same standard that they do those. And this is far greater than those works. Far greater. Right? They don't hold them to the same scrutiny as they do this book, but they esteem them as some great books of antiquity. They don't even give this the due that it's worth. You see? There's a spiritual attack, a demonic attack against the book. And so what you find out, and they say, oh, well, you're just some country bumpkin that thinks it's, you know, you know you're just some simple-minded fool who thinks that God preserved his word and, and, you know, it's without error and you're a religious fanatic. Okay. And what makes you think that? You know, there's a spirit behind it. So, <coughs> all right, well, with that said, back to Galatians. No, I, nothing bothered me a bit. <laughs> Galatians, chapter number three. Verse number 20. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. That simply means that it takes two parties to have a mediator. You can't have a mediator without two parties. Does that make sense? If there's a divorce ensuing, and there's a and there's two different parties, then sometimes, or there's two disagreeing parties, what t- happens is the two parties will hire a mediator, or they'll bring in a mediator to try to be the you know the reconciler to try to you know bring the best of both worlds and bring all things to the table. Now, if you have disagreement with yourself, you brought a mediator, that means you're crazy. Okay, so I just need someone to help me negotiate with myself. Now, that that's not how that works. All right, so now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. You don't need a mediator unless two parties are involved. Um, again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Okay, so that means that there's a mediator and Jesus Christ is the mediator. He is that bridge, that man bridge, if you will, between mankind and God. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? But once man is saved, here you go, once man is saved, there's no need for a mediator between God and a child of God. Does that make sense? I don't need a mediator between me and God anymore. What's that? So the word, the word he uses is a, is a mediator. A priest would serve a different office than just a mediator would. A priest, uh, you know, the high priest, you know, Jesus Christ is our high priest, so on and so forth. A priest in the Old Testament was more than a mediator between them and God. They were, you know, they facilitated the tabernacle. They facilitated worship you know they facilitated a lot of different things right but specifically a mediator as in there's two parties that are in opposition with one another okay and that mediator is brought in to bring those two parties together that's the purpose of a mediator so once you get saved the Bible says that now you are in Christ you're a part of him you become bone of his bone you become flesh of his flesh and why does he have to mediate between you and himself Because you are himself. Right? You know what he does now? He intercedes for me. There's no doubt about that. Uh, But once you're saved, you are one with Christ, being in him and part of him. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Go ahead and turn there just for sake of, you know, reference. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ. I'm in heavenly places with Him. Present tense. Colossians chapter number 1. Verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Jesus Christ is in me, and I am in him. All right? Uh, once you're saved, uh, you don't need a mediator anymore. God deals with you as directly as he dealt with Abraham. You see that? I don't need a mediator between me and him anymore. You know what I need? I get I get direct access. That's what he says now. He says, I can come boldly unto the throne of grace that I may obtain... Mercy and find grace to help in time of need, right? I'm a child now. I haven't been home up to New York in probably five or six years, something like that. It's been a while, you know. I always forget; they always run together. But um, it's been it's been a minute, right, since I've been up there. You know what I know? That if I was to get in my car tonight and I was to drive to New York and I was to get into my driveway, you know what I could do? I could walk in the front door. And I can open up the refrigerator, and I can eat whatever's in that refrigerator. You know that? You want to know why? Because that's, I'm their son. I'm part of the family. Now, if I rolled up to your house tonight, (laughs) and I said, man, I'm just a little hungry, and Brother Rich is just down the road, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And I know it's late, but... I mean, we're brothers in Christ, you know, and I just walked in the front door and hadn't never been there, and I'm walking around trying to find light switches and bust open, and you know, he's got, you know, his prized turkey or whatever in the refrigerator, and I just had me a turkey sandwich. That would be unacceptable <laughs> and extremely out of line, <laughs> right? Why? Because the relationship's different. Now, I'm... I'm bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. My access is completely different because of the familiar relationship that we have. Does that make sense? And so I now have direct access to the Lord. I don't require a middleman. I don't require a middleman anymore. Okay, I can go boldly. And so uh, the the reason I, I bring that up is because God dealt with Abraham the same way. There was no mediator between God and Abraham. We just we mentioned that before. (coughs) Um, And guess what God called Abraham? Anybody know what God called Abraham? Go to Isaiah chapter 41. I like this, man. This is cool. Isaiah forty one. Isaiah 41, look in verse number eight. But thou, Israel, art my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham. What? My friend. I like that man. I got friends in high places. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Who wants friends in low places? Those are the stupidest friends in the world. You know, (laughs) I want friends in low places. I want friends in high places. Garth Brooks is a dummy. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, um, he calls Abraham his friend. And he talks to Abraham directly. Okay? And you know what's funny? Go to John chapter 15. John chapter number 15. Look in verse number 15. The Bible says, "...Henceforth..." I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. You recall back there, pastor mentions it frequently, uh, you know, in, in preaching and stuff. Like, why, why in the world did the, when angel of God came down and, and him going back and forth, And can we let Abraham know this? He says, well, look how he rules his house and look at this and the other. Why should we not tell Abraham? Right? Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the, Lord do, what the Lord doeth. Abraham was in the know. Me and you, guess what? We're in the know. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You know what? I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not just part of him. I'm his friend. And he owns me as his friend. I don't know about you, but I like it when people claim me as their friend. You ever been around somebody that, like, didn't really want people to know that you were friends? You ever, like, in high school, it ever happened to you, you know? Maybe I was just a loser that that happened to, I don't know, you know. But, you know, you're, like, talking to somebody, and it's just you and them, and they're excited, and then all of a sudden somebody else comes up, and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy, you know. <laughs> like, walk away, you know, or something like that. Or they try to, like, and they start acting different because somebody else just showed up. You know, what a horrible feeling that is. You know, here's the God of the universe in front of all principalities and powers, in front of all the hosts of heaven, the angels and all created beings, and you show up, right? And he says, hey, guys, this is my friend. <laughs> come here, come here, guys. Check this guy out. <laughs> to me, that's amazing. Right to me, that's like wow. He's not embarrassed about me. He should be. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't announce the friendship. Maybe we should just ease into this thing. You know? Maybe. I don't blame you. You know? Yeah. I'm kind. Of, I'm friend-ish. That's what we are. No. He uh, he 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 calls us his friends, and he keeps us in the know, and he allows us to get close, and that's the mark of friendship. Is how close can you get? You know, a lot of people when it comes to friendships. They dictate how close you can get. You ever notice that about friends? Friends are funny. Friends are funny. They, a lot of times people, anybody ever heard the, uh, the term the friend zone? Usually you hear that, you know, with like guys and girls and stuff like that. And a guy wants to have a girlfriend and, uh, you know, uh, she puts him in the friend zone. And he's like, oh, man, I'm in the friend zone, right? <laughs> well, you know, when it, to, when it comes to friendships, there's some people they can't handle close friendships because it's all about them and they're extremely needy and they're jealous and they got to know everything that's going on and why didn't you answer my phone call and why didn't you why oh my goodness it's like, where were you And it's like no dude I like I live a life you know I got a lot li- I got a life you know that's what that's what's going on you know and uh, and some some people they don't allow you to get close to them because it's like trying to be close to somebody that's drowning in water It's usually not advisable, (laughs) right? Somebody's drowning, and they're flailing, and they're just trying to grab, and this, that, and the other. You can only get so close, or else they'll kill both of you. And some people act like that, right? Some people people with friendships and relationships is like that. They become too clingy. They become too needy. They become, I need more attention. Why are you talking to so-and-so more than you're talking to me? It's like, whoa, bro, what is up with that? Are we like teenage girls? What's going on here? I'm sorry, I don't think that way. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But then there's those kinds of friendships where you're very confident in who you are and they're very confident in who they are and you guys can connect on a level and a plane where you can be as close as you. You see, that's the key to friendship. I want to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, be confident in who you are. You say, who's that? A mess, an absolute mess. Because he's confident who he is. <laughs> he knows who he is. He's got no delusions. He's everything. And as long as you respect where he's at, he'll respect where you're at. He knows where you're at. That's why he says, come now, let us reason together, say the Lord, right? He he knows that you're but dust. He knows you're grass. He knows all that thing. It's when you start to like, it's when you come to him and try to make yourself bigger than you really are and better than you really are. And he says, why are you playing games with me? Just be honest, right? Just level with me. We can't build a true friendship and a true relationship uh, on a pretense full of lies. Just be honest. Lord, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. All right, tell me about it. Let's talk about it. That's how you develop that close friendship, right? So God deals with you directly as He deals with Abraham, uh, and He calls Abraham friend. Now, uh, God uh, dwelt directly with Abraham. God dealt indirectly with Israel as a nation he dealt directly with Abraham (coughs) he dealt indirectly with Israel remember that he goes through Moses Moses gets it Moses comes tells the people so on and so forth Mount Sinai all this different stuff God deals indirectly Moses sees a part of God that the people don't see so God deals with the nation of Israel indirectly all right And uh, go to Acts chapter 7 real quick. I'll show you something. And this is going to kind of put a bow on this whole, like, law affecting the promises given to Abraham, the law affecting salvation by grace through faith, and all this different stuff. Um, Hopefully, this kind of puts a bow on it. Uh, uh, Romans, or excuse me, Acts chapter 7, (coughs) verse number 30. The Bible says and when forty years were expired there appeared to him, this is Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush, okay I believe that's a pre-incarnate um, a preincarnate um, experience or encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. okay go to verse thirty five so the the angel uh shows up in the bush to Moses in Acts chapter 7, verse 30. He ordains the law in verse number 35, this Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? (coughs) The same did God send to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. So the angel appears to him in the bush, and then he sanctions or ordains him uh, the, same, the angel, same angel ordains him as he says right there because they said who makes you a judge and he, sa- and he says well who's going to say that it sent me he says well them I am sent you right um, and so the Lord ordains that okay and he ordains it in the hands of Moses the whole thing couldn't take away or add one thing to the Abrahamic promises That whole situation with the Lord coming to him, or the angel coming to him, or however you want to say it, the angel coming to him in a burning bush, the angel ordaining him and sanctioning him to be the guy that delivers Israel through the law and gives him the law, that whole thing that happens with Moses in no way, shape, or form affects one thing that happened to Abraham. Not one thing. Go to Exodus chapter 32. I just like to take the long way around everything here. Exodus chapter 32. Look in verse number 7 starting out. Exodus 32 verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people. Excuse me, I'm in Genesis. I need to be in Exodus. What in the world? Exodus 32. I'm like, that didn't look right. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them molten molten calf, and worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, (coughs) and said, Thus be thy gods, or these be thy gods, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. In and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Wait a minute. You're going to try to tell me that the law disrupted or replaced or affected the Abrahamic promises? These people corrupted themselves and God says, "Nah, just wait a minute. I'm going to wipe these suckers out." <laughs> right? And I'm just going to start over. Well, would that have changed the Abrahamic promise if he chose to do that at that time? Absolutely not. He would have had to he would have had to go back on his promise. To Israel, look at what Moses says. And Moses besought the Lord, uh, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with thy great power and with mighty hand? Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out and slay them in the mountains to consume them with the face of the earth, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people? Remember who? Oh, Abraham, Isaac, In Israel thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give it to your seed and they shall inherit forever and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Why? Because he was not going to allow that effect, the promises given to Abraham and Isaac. You see that? So how in the world could the law affect, affect the promises? God, God was given the law and God was dealing with a bunch of rebellious people and it still didn't affect the promises. It was the promise that kept Him from destroying them. You see that? There's no possible way that that messes up anything. So anybody that tries to say that or put that thing on it, what are they, they just don't read their Bible. They just don't read it. There's no secret sauce there. There's no like hidden gem it's literally just like what he said and just like use your you know the gray matter between your ears and you go oh wait if if that if if that was going to affect the promises right then how could he have done this oh it doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't make sense because he, he used those promises to deter the Lord from doing that. And you want know, to you know something? I think if he, would have, if he would have destroyed him that day, guess what? He would have raised up a new seed, and it would have still been the same seed. And, he, and those promises that he gave to Abraham would have been just fine. He just killed the lot. That, he just killed a bad bunch that he had. <laughs> and uh, Moses was still in that line. So Moses was the, still the original guy, and he would have been fine. <laughs> you know, he would have let it go through some other way. But you're not touching that thing. And you can't touch that thing. Um, and you can't say that it's given to somebody else. All right, uh, we've already touched number 21. This is the law, excuse me, this is the law then against, the, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. Is the law then against the promises of God? He says, God forbid. Quick to respond again. What Paul has a knack for doing, and you read this as, you read his writings. Is that, is that he gives the opposing question, right? He gives you a bunch of he gives you a bunch of information, and then what does he do? Is he takes the criticism that would likely come, he asks that question, and then he debunks the question. He asks a rhetorical question. Okay, and he says, <coughs> "Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law." Given to which uh, could have uh, given, which could have given life. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. The fact of the matter is, is there was no law given that righteousness could have been achieved in. Because what does the law do? It fundamentally shows you how unrighteous you are. So how could righteousness come by the working of the law? It couldn't. That only comes by promise. That only comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's see here. Verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. That's pretty self-explanatory. We've, I mean, if you know the Romans Road, you know some of these other, um, you know, different things. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. The scripture hath concluded <coughs> all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, again, I feel it's pretty self-explanatory, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Again, the prerequisite for you getting the promise, um, there's a couple things here, qualifications. One, you realize that it's obtained by faith. It's obtained by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's obtained by faith in Jesus Christ by belief. And only to them that believe. And that's going to be important here in the next couple seconds because we're going to get into like three or four big heresies that are taught in Galatians chapter 3 in the next few verses. And um, this whole fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man thing, that doesn't work with that very well. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Again, but before faith, that is, you live in the dispensation of grace that is obtained by faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing. That's New Testament faith. Now, there's always an element of faith. Uh, There was an element of faith in the Old Testament, although there was a lot of sight that took place, right? Um, Still, you had to do what you were told to do. Uh, Abraham had 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 faith, but the faith that is being talked about here had yet to be revealed, should be revealed afterwards. So we know what's talking about the New Testament faith. Obviously, in the context of Galatians, you can't take that verse out of context and try to put it on, you know, Abraham or something like that. This faith here is New Testament faith, kept under the law. They say they were kept under the law. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. It's verses like that that make me, that make me scratch my head and say, how could you not be dispensational? It's verses like that that go, why in the world would you say that in the Old Testament to say the same way they are in the New Testament? How could you possibly read that verse and get that from that? That makes no sense. He just told you, before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Who was it revealed to? Who's writing the book? Who's writing this? Paul. We talked about that a, few, uh, a week ago or whatever, the advanced revelations that God gave Paul. It was revealed to him. And so what are the, they were going by based on Old Testament. That's why the book of Acts is so tricky. They're going from an Old Testament faith set up to what God's revealed unto Paul. That's why it's so tricky. But now he's, tr- he's teaching this to the Galatians and it's well established, okay? Uh, shut up afterwards in the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we uh, might be justified by faith. Again, justified uh, being, uh, of course, the, 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 you know, the, nice, the nice is justified, had never sinned, right? Justified. <laughs> that we might be justified by faith, not by the works of the law, but by faith. Um, that's a, we we've gone over the schoolmaster bringing us to Christ, uh, verse 25. But after that, faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. So that's what I told you uh, that the law is of no more relevance once Jesus Christ comes into the picture, and that shows us that as well. <coughs> that after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, verse, let's see here. Let's see here, verse 25. Let's go to verse 25. Well, let's just, let's read it and then I'll go through this because verse 25 to verse 29 is like back to back to back to back to back heresy and it's kind of neat how they get that. Verse 25, but after that, faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay? Uh, Verse 25, five heresies. I think I've I've shown you this before, but I told you that we'd hit them once we got here, and now we're hitting them. Okay, verse 25 is called hypergrace. Hypergrace, or the fancy million-dollar word, is antinomianism. Like that one? It's Greek. Anti, obviously, against, right? Um... uh, NOMOS, N-O-M-O-S. NOMOS, that's uh, anti... Oh, what was it? Um, I'd have to look it back up. That's escaping me now. It doesn't really matter. i just show you how smart I am. (laughs) Shows you how smart I am, I forgot. (laughs) But anyway, antinomianism. That is the thought that... Um, basically, you do whatever you want. Now that you're saved, um, that uh, grace is all-encompassing, and basically, you know, you're not brought underneath the structure of any religious establishment or anything else like that. And basically, you know, there's no rules, there's no expectations, um, none of that. Antinomianism. You have no restraint. Basically, you're open to do whatever you want to do. Basically, you can be, say, like a saved hippie, you know? Go to Romans chapter 6. Now, we know that that's not true because the Bible still has a lot to say about sin even after you're saved. Okay? And although that... The, the the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ and show us that sin is exceedingly sinful as Paul states in Romans chapter 7. That <coughs> to say that now sin <coughs> is completely done away with and I am now encompassed with grace and there's no more expectation and there's no more restraint that I have to show because I have been freed from that um, Verse 14, Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Hey, you just proved my point, right? I don't have, it has no more dominion over me. What then? Again, what do we talk about? Paul has a certain way of writing. So he knows exactly what somebody's going to say to that statement. So what does he say? He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! You fool! Why would you say that? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You see that thing? So you Yeah, you're no longer underneath the the dominion of of sin and dominion of the law, but you can yield your members to sinful things and the Bible says you shouldn't do that because whoever you yield your members to, that's the servant who you are and you're not supposed to be those kind of servants. So that destroys that one right there. That's verse 25, antinomianism or hyper grace. There was an individual here not too long ago and I had to adjust that. Because uh, that's where he was going, was a hyper grace. Um, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? This is called the fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. This is everyone's God's child. <laughs> right? Oh, we're all God's children. It's all God's children. Cheering. <laughs> cheering. It's all God's children. Well, guess what? <laughs> you ain't. <laughs> okay? For ye are all the children of God. Which I don't, I don't, again, maybe it's just knowing what I know or what I've been taught or whatever. To me, I read that and I don't even know how you get it out of there. I mean, unless you just take the first part and literally just disregard what it says afterwards. For you are all the children of God. Stop. There's nothing there. Why are we reading any further? He tells you the conditional, phrase, the conditional statement, by, right after that. And he says, by faith in Christ Jesus. How do I become a child of God? It's right there in the verse. By faith in Christ Jesus. That wasn't hard, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 2 real quick, just so that you have a cross reference, because I feel like you should have a bunch of those. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And look at this and we're by nature, uh oh, the children of God? Uh, nope, pardon me, that's not right. The children of wrath. So that means you haven't always been the child of God, you've been the child of the devil. Right, And once you, by faith, accept Lord Jesus Christ, you get adopted into a new family. Again, another New Testament, a very important doctrine, the, the doctrine of adoption, uh, the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies, so on and so forth, the adoption into the family of God. Uh, so that kind of disproves that. That's the fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man. Again, <coughs> any, any secular, humanistic... Um, you know, mush head (laughs) is going to try to, we're all God's children. No, 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 we're not. (laughs) Right? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Anybody know what that one's called? We've talked about it before. We've gone over Campbellites in the past. What's that doctrine? What What do the Campbellites teach? What do they call it? So is water baptism, but the but the heresy is called baptismal regeneration. I know it's a big fancy word, but that's you know, put those fancy words in your pocket someday, and if you get them, you know, you pull them out and they go, oh, you're a scholar, are you? You know, no, no, I just, you know, picked it up on the back of his tomato can or something like that. You know? <laughs> baptismal regeneration. Basically, I mean you can see baptismal, and when they say baptismal they mean like plunky in water, right? Uh, regeneration. That means the way that I'm regenerated is through baptism. That's the, 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 the title of the of the heresy, if you will. Okay. Now, again, the problem with that is we've. I won't go exhaustively into this because we have gone over Campbellites in that, and possibly have some notes. But in case you weren't here for that, um, every the, the the problem is is a Campbellite or a Church of Christ or a church, you know, of whatever. Uh, they every time they see the word baptism, they see water, and the truth of the matter is, is uh, there's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink, as Doctor Rutman would say. There's no water in Galatians chapter three. Okay, there's no water there, and so what's the problem? <laughs> is if you read water into that, you're going to get all messed up. You're going to get boogered up, if you will. Go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6, I love it when I, uh, you, ever, you, ever, you know how authors have styles of writing? So uh, if you ever get into like the, you know, who wrote Hebrews and all this different stuff, you know, other than the fact that the Bible says that Hebrews was written by Paul, um, <laughs> there's some that don't like that very much. I don't have a problem with it. Um, but uh, what you find out is some of the style... In, in Hebrews uh, there's overlap right and so um, but you see here again the style is very evident. what shall we say then? shall we con- uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid this is a tactic this is this is, this is Paul's what they would call his voice okay in writing it says this is Paul's voice. Um, how shall we say that uh, how shall we excuse me how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Okay, how are we baptized into Jesus Christ? Well, the Campbellite would read that, or the Church of God would read that, or the Church of Christ would read that, and they would say, well, that's through water baptism. Right? Okay, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because again, Scripture was Scripture, we say, oh man, it doesn't say. Well, you know what, it, it's, it's just as important to know what it doesn't say and to know what it does say. And one thing that it does not say is water. And so if you put water in there, you're making a huge assumption. Especially because when we go to 1 Corinthians, um, what did I say? 1 Corinthians, I have a note back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Oh, you mean He wasn't baptized with water? No, He called it the Spirit. It's a spiritual baptism. It takes place when you get saved. The Bible says you're baptized into Jesus Christ. And that's not water. What is it? It's a spiritual thing. That's what happens. And so, this is this baptismal regeneration. They teach that there in um, verse 27. Back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, we teach that there are no physical differences. I've actually dealt with this on the street before. Oh, yeah. And then, Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile man. We're all just in this together. You know? <laughs> it's like, go smoke your doobie, you know, somewhere else, bro. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Right? <laughs> There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. Again, the the trannies, they would love that verse. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. No physical differences. Again, this is real simple. (coughs) Read verse number 14. Same chapter. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, That we might receive the promises of the what? Spirit through faith. Oh, so you mean the whole context, what we're talking about is spiritual? Uh Uh-huh, yep, absolutely. So why would you try to insert the physical into a spiritual passage? The minute you do that, you teach some crazy thing, say, there's no difference between male and female, there's no difference between Jews or Gentiles, and oh, I'm colorblind, I don't see race, and... I'm not, this doesn't teach racism, but if you don't think that uh, a white Italian is different than, you know, a black guy raised, you know, in in, in the South in Mississippi, I mean, you're crazy. We have cultural differences. We have, they're racial differences. We think differently. All this different stuff. It's not that we're enemies or that I hate them. It's just we're different. Nothing wrong with that. You know? And I, they, say, they say that you're super racist if you say you have black friends. What? Yeah. The way you know you're racist, the way they you know you're racist is if, if you're a white guy and you're trying to defend yourself and that you're not racist and you say, well, I have black friends. And they go, oh, you're the biggest racist there is. That's what every racist says. <laughs> of course you have black friends, you know? I'm like, no, I really do. Like, <laughs> I don't have a problem. Like, we're good, you know? But, uh, but, again, simple thing, context. What are we talking about? That's what we're talking about. Pretty simple, right? Verse 29, and we'll be done. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Okay? And we've talked about this in some length. This is post-millennialism. This is bringing in the kingdom, right? Uh, We have the physical, we have right to the physical promises given to Abraham because see that we're his seed. And so, what you do is replacement theologies based on that. God's done with the Jew, and you know, the physical promises are going to somebody else, and we're bringing in the kingdom, and blah 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 blah. That's kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God. And guess what? You're not there. You say, why? Same. Same thing, verse, uh, verse 14 shows you the context of this passage is spiritual. If you are an honest person and you read Galatians chapter 3, there's no possible way that you, get, that you think that you get the physical promises given to Abraham uh, unless you're dishonest and you're trying to prove a doctrine. It is an illustration evidently put forth by Paul, masterfully woven from an Old Testament story. With a New Testament meaning and professionally orated to these people. And only a dishonest person with a hidden agenda and a false motive would try to teach that from this passage. And so we conclude Galatians chapter number three. Um, Is there any questions? I think we're officially like almost halfway done. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Christ is a mediator for your state. Correct. He's an intercessor after your state. Sure. Yeah. So if you were to go were to be go to an and do a confession, are you admitting you're not saved? Or are you trying to be saved another you, Yeah? Yeah, you know, I think it's a good question. I think that it's, it's I think the motive of an individual, they're so doctrinally messed up right if you go to a confessional i mean the whole premise of going to a confessional is so messed up to try to read that doctrine into that situation is probably difficult because the person that's going in there doesn't even understand the implications of what they're doing does that make sense correct so if you're trying to get something from a man or something but so let's say let's say cuz i don't believe that all catholics are lost right? I believe a lot of Catholics are probably saved, right? Now, but if you're steeped in false doctrine, you could be a saved individual, go into a confessional booth and tell all your dirty secrets to a priest, and you think that that is going to offer you forgiveness or give you some kind of, um, you know, favor with God and and clearing of your conscience and clearing of your sin. Now, does does that does the fact that they're going in there prove that they're not saved? No. Right? Do they understand the doctrine of mediation versus um, uh, mediator or, or versus intercessor? No. That's why it's so important that if a Catholic gets saved, if they don't get in the Bible, very seldom do they ever get out of the traditions and the false doctrines that are in the Catholic Church because they're so closely intertwined um that and it's so traditional and it's and it's all hinges, and your salvation hinges upon it it it's just it's really it's a hard system to get out of and it's that's why it's so hellish that's why it's so you know uh demonic yeah sure. Oh, sure. But if your, if your salvation hinged on it, man, you'd risk life and limb and do the same thing. Yeah. See, if they could ever grasp their mind that, guess what, if I'm, if I'm at enmity, because he said that he abolished the enmity. Remember we read that? Uh, he abolished the enmity contained in those ordinances because those ordinances show that you're an enemy of God, okay? If you're an enemy and you've got God, Here's Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator you have. The Pope ain't your mediator. And your preacher ain't your mediator. And your mom and your dad and your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your kids aren't your mediator. You've got to go to Jesus Christ, period. He's the one that can mediate that problem. You say, I don't like Jesus Christ. Okay, well, you ain't talking to him unless you talk to him. Right? So, He's the mediator. Once you get saved, you become Him. You see? So, who's the mediator between Jesus Christ and God the Father? Nobody. And so now, Jesus Christ is my intercessor. He, he, he You know, I, I know not what I should pray for like I uh, ought. You know, and uh, when I pray, He, he maketh His intercession for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. What a great thing. What a wonderful promise. That's the glory of not just getting saved, but of getting in the book and understanding the doctrinal implications of what it is you got after you got saved. You go, my goodness, man. I got it way better than I thought I'd. I did. You mean I got escaped hell in this too? Right? And then you start compounding all those biblical terms and like justification and redemption and adoption, you know, and propitiation and all these Bible words, you go, man, it just keeps getting better and better and better, <laughs> you know? So I look at somebody like what you're saying and I, I just go, man, I wish i get it, you know? Is that some kind of proof? Could you look at that and say, well, I definitely know they're not saved. Well, no, some people are steeped in false doctrine and they honestly believe that that's how their salvation is attached. And um, can you be saved and steeped in false doctrine? 100%. So there's no telltale sign. Again, when I I go back and forth, the only people who really know if you're saved are you, God, and the devil. You know, period. Sir. Um, So, like when I pray, I think the way most of us pray is to Father, you know, to the Mm Father through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Sure. Is that the? Is that because we're in Christ? We're praying to the. absolutely I mean, way, right? yeah so when you ta- when it comes to when it comes to prayer you know the you know he gives the Lord's Prayer they call it the Lord's Prayer right um, and it, you know our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name that King kingdom come right that's that's that was a that was a a lesson on prayer given to the disciples the Lord's actual prayer is John 17 right and so in that prayer you know, he's making... Go to, go to turn to John 17. These words spake Jesus, verse 1. Lifted up his eyes to heaven and said... Uh, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, and should give eternal life and all those that thou hast given him. And, eternal, uh, and this is eternal life, that they might know Thee, uh, uh, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see that? He's praying directly to the Father. Again, what you have through the Lord Jesus Christ is, is unfettered access to God the Father. You would never have that outside of Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, (coughs) you know, again, is Jesus Christ God? Yes. Do I sometimes, Lord Jesus, help me. Right? Absolutely. God, help me. (laughs) Yes. You know, a lot of times you can pray interchangeably, you know, to God or to Jesus Christ. One thing that you don't find and this is where the, the Charismatics and the Pentecostals get in trouble, is they pray directly to the Holy Ghost. Now that's where you get yourself into trouble, because you know, you're you supposed to pray in the Spirit, not to the Spirit. Because the Spirit does not bear witness of Himself, right? The, the, the Spirit, it, it bears witness to the Son, to the Father. It's, a, it's just a pointer, right? And so we're to pray in the Spirit, not to the Spirit, um but if you're praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're praying to God the Father. Yeah. And then and then the Bible tells us if we ask anything in his name, you know, uh I will do it. And um and so we do. We come we come to Jesus, we come to the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the that's the pattern that we have. It's just no longer a mediator situation. It's now. Yeah. Uh, you're you're in Christ, and yeah, yeah. So, and then when you when you consider, um, and when you consider the fact that we don't know what we should pray for like we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When we when we take here in John chapter 17, that you know what I know is that that Jesus Christ is praying for me, right? So. So my thing is, is that a lot of times, when I pray, I know that the Spirit of God. I'm praying in the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Lord's getting that thing jumbled up in such a way where He says, "Dad, Joe thinks he needs this, but he really needs this," you know. And this, you know. And so, <clears throat> what the Lord has done is He's given us access, but He's also given us access without fear of, or without the need of knowing everything. Does that make sense? So it's like, how am I going to go to God and talk to God? As if I know something. Right? That's like, you know, I, I'm going to go to, uh, you know, I'm going to go to some, I've never built anything before, and I'm going to go to a master builder and start talking to him and telling him what I need to build a house. And He's going to go, uh, excuse me, exactly what do you know? <laughs> Have you ever built a house before? No, never. i never even seen a house. Oh, well, why in the world are you telling me what you need? Right, so you see how that relationship could be combative, right? So what the Lord has done is He set it up to where I have unfettered access to Him, right? And He says, "I want you to talk to me. Let's talk. I want communication with you." And so what He then does is He's got this thing worked out. No matter how you come to Him, He just knows you. He knows your frame, and He just He He likes the fellowship, and He likes the fact that you know where to go. And sometimes we think we, you know, we pray and we think we know what we want. The Lord says, no, you really don't want that. You want this, but I hear your prayer. And it's just he's got the thing set up to where I don't have to be on his level to have a conversation with him. He's got the thing set up to where I have an intercessor. I've got I've got the Lord Jesus Christ and I've got the Holy Spirit and I got unfettered access to him, you know, And so, I guess, maybe that changes the the perspective when you get down and pray, you know, it's like, hey, I'm talking to him, and, you know, I'm just so stupid, I'm just so this, he knows, he knows who you are, and he knows, you know, uh, where you're at, everyone's at a different place in life, and everyone's got different insights about things, and you know what God does? He can see through all that, and he can get you exactly what you need. But if you don't pray at all, right, then what you've done is you've blocked yourself off from the access that you have to that power and you don't get it any other way than through prayer. So that's why prayer is so important. Some people say, well, if he already knows everything I need, why would I pray? You want to know why? Because he told you to pray. Because he wants you to pray. Because he wants to hear your voice. And that's why we do it. We have that access and we should utilize that access as much as we possibly can. That's why he says pray without ceasing, right? Um, So so yeah, absolutely. Anything else? All right, let's pray and we'll be, we'll be done. Lord, thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray that uh, things we've gone over were of some help and some benefit, Lord, and pray they were understandable. I pray for all that are here, Lord, they go home and think and, and uh, meditate on these things and check the scriptures to see if they're so. And uh, Father, we just thank you for this book and the guidance that it gives us, and, the, and Lord, the warmth it gives to our heart. And the more we understand about our situation doctrinally, Lord, just the more thankful we become. Uh, that uh, you've done for us what you have. And uh, we love you now. We pray that you bless us. We go our separate ways and bring us back at church on Sunday. I pray, uh, Lord, that you bless uh, these folks as they have the rest of their work week or they got stuff going on this weekend. Lord, and I just pray that you bless them and, uh, and help our pastor and, and give them a, a good time as a family tonight. And, uh, again, we're just very thankful for what you've done for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right.